continuing with our sermon series. Hopefully you've been picking up week by week these little sheets, which are just a helpful place for you to make notes. I heard it said this week, um, you know, we can't say for certain that taking notes in church will, will get you into heaven, uh, but why take the chance? Um, I heard that said this week, and honestly, some of you are looking worried. It, it won't get you into heaven. I just want to leave that little bit of, you know, confusion in your minds, though. Uh, come on, take some notes. It's good for you. Come on. I can barely remember what I'm going to say each week. There's no way you're going to remember it if you don't take any notes. And helpfully, on the other side, there's our framework for what we're thinking about at the moment. It, is it okay for a Christian to dot, 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 question mark? And uh, we've been addressing various things, haven't we, over recent weeks? I know I talked about, um, is it okay to vote for such and such or this and that? If you're like me, um, I've received, I think I'm on about seven election notifications for the uh, European elections. Anybody else? Anyone beat seven? Um, maybe you're standing for parliament yourself. You've got your own. I don't know. But, uh, it's, we talked about that. Come on. Listen to the podcasts. They're all available for you if you miss out on anything. Talked about what else we talked about. Talked about gambling. We talked about uh, yoga, meditation. Um, we're going to talk about things like... Uh, is it okay for a Christian to smoke pot? Um, and is it okay for a Christian to attend a gay wedding? Those are two of the topics coming up. Um, I'm going on holiday. Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> well, I am for one of them, but that's beside the point. Um, we're going to talk about these things because, come on, you might say, oh, this is irrelevant to me. I don't feel like these are lived struggles. But I tell you what, they are for your neighbors, they are for your friends and for your families. They are, don't lie to me, they are. Okay, the people in your world are wondering what the Bible says about these things. They are wondering, if you're a Christian, and most of your people around you know that you're a Christian, even if you don't tell them. Honestly, we moved into our house about four years or so ago. I didn't tell anybody that I worked as a vicar for the church, but my neighbors knew. That's just weird, isn't it? I, I, I say vicar because that's what I call myself. It's easier, isn't it? Um, I'm not a priest because I'm married with kids, so I'll be doing it really wrong. Um, they know. People know. And if they know, they're wondering what that looks like. They're wondering what it looks like. Yeah? So we're asking these questions. Today, we're going to be asking in a moment or two, um, is it okay for a Christian to watch Game of Thrones? I didn't know. I did not know when I organized this sermon series, but clearly the Holy Spirit did. That, is it tonight? Is the final episode. So look, everything hangs on this sermon. Um, the Holy Spirit is on your case. We're going we're gonna to find out some truth today. And if you're not into Game of Thrones, come on, the same truths, they apply to Fortnite. Can I just put that out there? And, uh, and to YouTube. And whatever else it might be, you know, your Insta feed or what, I don't know, all these things. Um, on the 16th of June, for those of you, I know most of us will be out on community, that's fine. Uh, some of us will be here. Um, we're going to have an open Q&A, uh, which is when, and I might assemble a panel, Avengers Assemble, it's going to be that kind of thing. We might assemble a panel for the Q&A, but it's going to be an open Q&A, so if we've not discussed questions that are really buzzing around in your heads, then you can ask those questions on that day, and we will endeavor to answer them. If you want to be kind to your pastors and elders, 
Anybody want to be kind to your pastors and elders? All right, the rest of you, I'm coming for you. Any, yeah, if you want to be kind to us, send the questions in in advance. Would you do that? Text them into the prayer line. Could you do that? Email the church. Put them down on these bits of paper and, and put them in my Bible so I won't even know who sent in the question. I'll leave the Bible here at the end, don't worry. Send in the questions, okay? You know, I know for some of you, some of you have been asking me about, there's been this event in Birkenhead Park over the past couple of days. It finishes tonight, the witching hour. And some of you are concerned about that. It is certainly something to be concerned about. It is certainly not something to freak out about because uh, you belong to Jesus. Does anybody else belong to Jesus? Do you know that you know the answer and that to everyone else you are the answer? Did you know that? Because you talk about Jesus, don't you? Okay. Some of you are looking at me like this is new. Come on, you're the hope of the world. Christ is in you, the hope of the world, isn't he? Come on, come on. You want to ask about that? Maybe you do. Um, I'm sure there are other things. On the 9th of June, just before that, we're really privileged to welcome an incredible evangelist and, and church mover and shaker, uh, a man named Andy Frost. He's just released a book called Long Story Short. It's a great way of framing the gospel and helping us to dive into it and help people uh, to find their way in it. And I would recommend it to you. Get a copy of it. Read it before then. He's going to come. He's going to be with us on the 9th, which um, for those of you who know your Christian calendar, is Pentecost Sunday. Oh, come on. Is anybody here a Pentecostal? Is anybody filled with the Spirit? Anybody? Seven of us. Come on. We'll be praying for everyone else at the end. Come on, come on. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. Okay, time is really flying by, and I've not even talked anything about Game of Thrones. Do you think I'm putting it off? (laughs) So we've been considering, and you might want to look at your little bit of paper. What is it okay for a Christian to do this, that, or the other? And do you know, Google is not your hope in this world or the next. Okay, Jesus is, and he reveals his truth to you through the scriptures. And so in the scriptures, we've found permission, prohibitions, and principles. These things might speak a ready and obvious yes or no to us. More likely, they'll grant to us frameworks and understandings within which we have freedom. Because you and I, if we're in Christ, we are not under the law. Rather, we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to do away with the law or the prophets, rather to be the fulfillment of it. And he shows us most perfectly what that looks like. Not just that, he opens up a new and living way for us in his flesh that we might walk in that way. Not just that, he went to his father in heaven and he said, these people, I love them very much, but there's no way they can do this on, them, on their own. Would you send the very spirit of God in my name that they might have power for Christian living? Is anybody here full of the Holy Spirit of God? Is anybody? Could you tell your face that you are? Eh? And could you tell your hands that you are? Come on, Christians. Can we get just a little bit excited about God? If you can't get excited about God here, then I tell you what, you're not going to be very excited about him when you leave this place. Come on, could you look at somebody? Could you smile at them? You don't have to say anything. Just look at somebody and smile at them and keep smiling until they smile back. Could you, you might be there for 20 minutes, I don't know. Just come on, come on, come on. Jesus has opened this way to us and so then we operate in these freedoms but under the wisdom of God which he will grant to you, James tells us. Any of you lack wisdom, then he should ask God. 
He'll give it to you freely without reproach. He's not going to say, oh, I'll give you some freedom, you divvy. He's, that's not how God is with you. He's like, I'll, I, sorry, I'll give you wisdom, sorry. He's not like that with you. He'll say, I'll give you wisdom because I love you. And therefore, we can act according to the knowledge that we are weak, but he is strong. And that Jesus Christ wants to demonstrate his love in this world. Our weakness, his witness, it's wonderful. God is good. Now, there's, you know, there's a broader question that comes before, is it okay for a Christian too? Because, you know, we can make this a tick boxing exercise. We can make this kind of a, a ring yes or no kind of question exercise if we're not careful. But there's something much deeper for us. You know, before we ask a specific question of our ethics and behavior, we must first be asking the question of why? You're pretty good folks. And honestly, that's as complimentary as I'm going to get this morning. So. No, you are. You're pretty good folks. And so I know you don't tend to think like that. You don't tend to think, why shouldn't I just live for my own pleasure in the moment? Or why should I care about, you know, you don't think, why should I bother caring about other people? I know you don't think like this. I know you don't think, why should I, why should I bother giving a thought for tomorrow? I know you don't think like this because you're nice people. But nice people is not the gospel, okay? So I want us to go a little bit deeper, a little bit further this morning. You know, my concern is that we don't always know our why. We behave ourselves sometimes just because we've been raised to be good people. That's a good thing. But it's not the gospel. It's not, not the gospel. Just being nice is not the gospel. We behave ourselves sometimes because we've figured out that it's probably better in the long run. That's not the gospel. It's, it's actually utilitarianism, if you want the grand name for it. It's not the gospel. Sometimes we behave ourselves because to misbehave gives us an icky feeling. Now, that might be a conscience being awakened by the Spirit of God. That's a good thing. But it's not the whole of the gospel. Just because you feel icky doesn't mean that you should say yes or no. What is the gospel? If you want to, you can come with me to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to drop in there before we head back to Ephesians. But 2 Corinthians 5, just a few excerpts from a wider passage. Read it for yourselves. It's full of wisdom and truth for you. But beginning in verse 9, then 11 and 14, we see this picture that God speaks to us. So whether we are at home or away. Now this is not a football terminology. I know that might be where your head springs to. Um, I, I always wonder, is it, so Liverpool are going to play Spurs and they're going to play in Madrid. But apparently one team's still going to be home and one team's going to be away. How does that work? It's very odd, isn't it? It's mind-bending. But obviously, we know that Liverpool are the team of God's good graces. And so, whether they are at home or away, they will prosper in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Seth, you got more excited about that than you did about the gospel. Come on, church. Anyhow, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? Here we go. Verse 11, you move on. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Move on. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Look, these few excerpts, and please read the rest. Get the sense of it all. They make it plain to us that we, if we are in Christ, we are motivated, indeed controlled 
by the love of Christ. If anybody preaches a gospel to you that allows you to be Lord of your life, let me tell you it's a false gospel. You are not Lord of your life if you proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Nobody can serve two masters. We're controlled, compelled, motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. It is not an add-on to otherwise good lives. It must be the core of your being, the prime mover of your destinies, the beginning of your life and the end of it. You, I, we are doomed without the love of Jesus Christ. Does that make it plain? And so we are moved to respond to his love with our loving response because the love of Christ is in us it controls us therefore whether at home or away we make it our aim to please him not solely that but as he has lovingly invited us into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ we then begin to know God he is a wonder and to know him in his awesome holiness and his majesty you know, we, we rightly perhaps firstly come to God and recognize that God is love. But can I say, that doesn't preclude that he is also a God of holiness or a God of awesome majesty and might. And so the Bible rightly tells us that we then respond to him, yes, with love, yes, with lives that please him, but also we recognize that to know God is to move into a healthy fear of him. There are many fears in this world. Fear others, fear people's opinion. Fear consequences, FOMO. There are so many fears in your life. They'll consume you. They'll debilitate you. They'll crush you. There is only one fear in this life that will allow you to unfurl, to open, to flourish, to blossom, to grow. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom in your life. It'll totally dominate and crush every other fear in your life. I tell you, if you try to wrestle with the fears of your life on your own and you don't have fear of God, then you will struggle and you'll burn out, you'll break. But if you fear God first, every other fear pales into insignificance. So to ask, is it okay for a Christian to watch Game of Thrones becomes less a matter of practicalities and pragmatism and more a matter of personal devotion to the one who loves us out of death and into his loving and transformative embrace. And just before we had read, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter four, in your Bible from verse 17 onwards, it probably calls it, it gives it a title, something like the new life or the Christian life or something like that. It is a great expression of moving from things of deathliness to life. And uh, Paul just a little earlier in this letter to the Ephesians in verse 17 of chapter three, he said, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You might be rooted and grounded in love. To become a Christian is to actually have God dwelling within you. That's phenomenal. I know we get used to it, don't we? But it's not something you can get used to. This is nuts. I had the incredible privilege on Friday of speaking at the the funeral of our, of our dear sister in Christ, Linda, and there up at Landerkin, I had the absolute pleasure of telling everyone that to hope in Jesus is utterly crazy. Because it is. Do you know, we surround ourselves with Christians and we start to think this is normal. It's not normal to be a Christian. It's totally weird. 
It's totally weird. Don't tell the people around you. Oh no, Christianity is much more normal than you think. No, it's much weirder than they think. We literally believe in everything come from nothing. Just because the one who has always been spoke a word and it came. That's weird. It's nuts. We believe that even though we absolutely trashed all of his creation, he still came to rescue us. That's nuts. We believe that God poured himself into human form and not as some kind of all-conquering king on a horse riding into our situation. No, he came as cells clumping together in the womb of his mother, put there by the power of the Spirit of God. Wow. It's nuts. Christianity's nuts. It's really weird. And it's totally wonderful. It's utterly beautiful. Christ is in us. That's what Paul has taught us. That's what we know by our own experience. And so knowing this, what else might Paul say to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit? Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In that renewing, we're instructed to focus on what is good, pure, and noble, as described in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I use this acronym, REPLANT. You might want to write that down on your notes. It's really helpful to give you good things in your mind. Whatever is R, right. Whatever is E, excellent. Whatever is P, pure. Whatever is L, lovely. Whatever is A, admirable. Whatever is N, noble. Whatever is T, true. You've all got really good memories because none of you are writing it down. Plan. Whatever is good, think on these things. I, I know the truth is you're all going to go home and study the word of God. That's fine. This is how we allow for the renewal of our mind. And then we live holy lives following Jesus' example. Peter, 1 Peter 1 verse 16. Follow him. Follow Jesus. Follow him closely. Now in our reading... The Bible makes plain to us that there are lives and lifestyles of contrast open to us. You know, life is choices, isn't it? Life is choices. You know, I first chose to follow Jesus when I was five years old. And obviously when I was five years old, I was a deep and rich Bible scholar, fully understanding the word of truth, rightly handling it according to my great experience of this world. No, I wasn't. I was a little kid. You know, I was such a little kid that when I first made the decision for Jesus Christ, somebody else had to lift me up to put me on the counter of the kitchen. Yeah? It was lovely, wasn't it? Um, and do you know, I was such a little kid that I didn't know whether I'd done it right, so I did it again the next day on the toilet downstairs in the house. <laughs> That's not so lovely. <laughs> Come on. How many times did I become a Christian over those next few years? All the times. Every single time I faced something new in my life, I had to choose Jesus. Or if I did not, I had to graciously receive his correction and know the consequences of choosing not to follow Jesus. When I was 12 years old, suddenly came to the understanding that I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a new way. It took me that long because I'm not the quickest. So when I was 12, I went forward and... uh, a few people prayed for me and I wasn't sure whether I was doing it right 
But then my big sister came and prayed for me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I spoke with a heavenly language as God enabled me. It's nothing of me, it's all of him. It took me a little while longer to realize that I should be baptized because I told you I'm not that quick. I was baptized when I was 15 years old, by which time I'd grown my hair long enough that when I came out of the water, you can't imagine me with long hair, can you? When I came out of the waters of baptism, I could flick it (laughs) like I was in a shampoo advert, thereby whipping my mum in the face. Choose Jesus. Lives are lives of choices. Come on, Christians. Don't tell me that you prayed a prayer once upon a time and therefore you're a Christian. You just carry on living life as though it makes no difference. Come on. When did the disciples become Christians? You find me a point. (laughs) It's a tricky question. You think it's obvious. It's not. Choose Jesus. Over and 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 over again. You familiar with the word dilemma? Do you know what it means? It means two horns. And when you're faced with a choice, it's like you're caught on the horns of some beastie. And there's two kind of things, and it can be a bit pointy and a bit pokey and a bit prickly and a bit tricksy. How might we choose Jesus? Will we be marked by, what does Ephesians 4 tell us? Will we be marked by callousness, ignorance, deceitful desires? Will we be given over to sensuality and impurity? Will we choose falsehood, anger, theft, or corrupting talk? What does Paul say? Would we give opportunity to the devil and grieve the Holy Spirit? Or would we embrace the gospel of Jesus and renewed in our minds and hearts, put on the new self, of true righteousness and holiness here today. We need not be darkened in our understanding. We need not be alienated from God. We need not be hard of heart. You know, we were praying before we came into this gathering, a few of us in the other room. If you ever wanna come and pray before we gather, just come, it's not closed, come and pray. And somebody, as they were sharing, they said they felt like God was going to say something to people's hearts, but there were some hearts that were going to be hard to the word of God. Uh, they felt that, not because it was like, a, you know, an us and them, or a, ooh, isn't that terrible? No. It's the grace of God that we might pray for soft hearts. We can be people who are eagerly pursuing Jesus, his beautiful way and his will for his world. How do we do that? Very, very briefly, in the next few minutes, this week, um, well, actually not this week, but as I've been preparing for today, um, I've done quite a bit of research, and one of the things that really stuck with me was um, the work of the Puritans. Puritans, they get a bad press, don't they? Even the word Puritan, we imagine it means somebody who's really dull, We imagine it means that they have no joy in their life. They're curmudgeonly grumpy. Does anyone else think it feels like I'm describing myself? Um, No. Uh, Puritans, they have a really bad press, as though they were just living this kind of truncated half-life. No, 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 no. What they did was, they were some of the people in Christian history who most well knew how to make choices. And they were so motivated by their desire for God. They were so motivated to come alive in Christ that they made choices that really challenge us. 
in the 16th and 17th century. For them, they were looking at music, art, sport, reading books. It may come as a surprise to you, but in the 16th century, there was no YouTube. Anna Sue came with me to the Elam Leaders Summit this week, and in one of her Young Leaders tracks, um, one of the speakers, they played to them the dial-up tone for the internet. Do you remember that? That... Do you remember that? All of the young people in the house are like, what just came out of your mouth, Greg? That's how you used to get onto the internet. Because there once was a time when there was no internet. <gasps> and, and there were no mobile phones. In the 16th century, <laughs> even before dial-up, they still wrestle with these things, but they can teach us today. As a Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, he asked these four questions to help guide his personal reading. I know some of you may not be readers, but God still loves you. Um, <laughs> you should read more. Even so, these questions, they can speak to Facebook. And they speak to Netflix. They speak to the Game of Thrones. And anything else you might want to watch. First question, and you do well to write these down. Could I spend this time no better? Could I spend this time no better? I read this week that the average adult spends 33 hours staring at the telly. These days, it's probably not just the telly, is it? It's probably all forms of screens. 33 hours a week. I don't know, some of you are thinking, that's a little conservative. 33 hours a day if we could, no. It would be difficult to argue. Let's go to Ephesians chapter again. Ephesians 5, 16. It tells us, redeem the time, yeah? Making best use of the time. That's the principle for us. Could I spend this time no better? Look, I know there can be plenty of opportunities to gain from watching telly or from going online. There are ways in which we can gain there are things that will edify, that will entertain, that will educate. And you know what? Sometimes you just need to come home and grab a cold drink and put your feet up, don't you? Don't you? Is this just me? Okay. Are you all like incredible superhumans? Sometimes you just need to... Anyone else? But there's a lot of junk. Not just on telly. If you're scrolling through your Facebook or your Twitter or your Insta feed, I was on the, um, the train in Vancouver um, last year and there was nowhere for me to sit so I stood and there was a young lady with one of those phones that's almost big enough to be a tablet, you know those kinds? Really big. And, uh, and she was whipping through her Insta feed like this. I am not messing. It was going so fast and I don't know whether she developed some sort of powerful eyesight that was beyond me but she stopped at random points. And then she looked at something intently like she knew it was there. I don't know, how do you do that? Stop. I had this, I, it's just full of junk, isn't it? You know, there's random little bits of goodness, but it's so full of junk. When you're binge watching Netflix, with hours passing by with no gain, and the loss of quality time with others, and the loss of opportunity to grow and serve, could the time be spent better? Now, can I just kind of give a counter to this? 
You know, many of us, we would think nothing of uh, watching a football match, for instance. 90 minutes of sport, maybe a little longer. And then, of course, we want to watch, as my mum calls them, the grumpy old men, chunnering on beforehand, chunnering on a bit at half time, and then chunnering on afterwards as well in the post-game analysis. You would easily spend a couple hours, wouldn't you, watching a game of sport? Yeah? Isn't that right? And yet, many of us, and particularly those of us who have got, you know, maybe a little more grey hair, or maybe less hair altogether, we think it's a bit weird when young people spend a couple hours gaming. You never thought Pastor, Pastor Greg would stand up for gaming, did you? Why? What's the difference? Don't be prejudiced. That's no lens for looking at what we're consuming. The lens is not prejudice. The lens is where's it coming from? What's it doing and where's it going? Where's it coming from? What's it doing and where's it going? I told one of the young people that I might skew a Fortnite this week. And he told me no one plays Fortnite anymore. I'm, I'm behind the curve already. You've got to ask yourself, how many people do you have to kill, even in a gaming context, before it starts to become a little corrosive to your soul? It's a good question to ask. How many people do you have to watch be killed in ever more graphic ways before it's a bit corrosive to your soul? With all TV, online media, gaming, if we are to watch and engage, the content is so important. Second question, this flows from this. Are there better shows or books or movies or whatever it is that I'm consuming that would edify me more? What does that word mean? It means build me up in Christ, build me up to be the person that he's made me to be. Not everything is good for me. And do you know what? That is not immediately apparent. Every time... I have a kebab. I genuinely believe that it is good for me. I do. And if you have had a kebab, you will know what I am talking about. Because when that sweet, salty, spicy goodness passes into your mouth, you will feel that Jesus is coming again. And that all is made right with the world. Is it just me? It is, yeah, it's just me. <laughs> and then, oh, you will open up that other styrofoam container. I, I do hope they get rid of those for the sake of the planet, but you open it up and there will be your cheesy chips covered in mayo. Oh, praise God. <laughs> I do eat good food as well, I do. I'm really sorry, Grace, I'm so sorry. Um, you eat it and you, oh, thank you, Lord. And, but if I was to do that every day, then I would not be around for much longer. <laughs> Come on. What are you consuming? It is not a mark of spiritual maturity to be able to watch anything, consume anything, and then claim that you are unchanged. You find me an instance in the Bible where it tells you to get as close as possible to things which are broken and hurtful and, and actually represent sin without stumbling. Find me that place in the Bible. Doesn't the Bible actually say, flee from sin? Doesn't it say, flee from sexual immorality? 
You know, we, we live our lives all too often as though as long as we've built a good enough fence on the cliff edge, we can go and swing on it and it'll be fine. Come on. A guy named Tim Challies put it like this. It was not too long ago that many Christians considered all movies and TV off bounds. Some of you are old enough to remember those days. Now that was fundamentalism at its most legalistic. And it is good, Tim says, that we have corrected this. Yet, today I fear we've massively overcorrected so that almost nothing is off bounds. In fact, we've gone so far as to consider it virtuous to be able to watch nearly anything. To put it simply, as John MacArthur put it, we should not be entertained by the sins for which Christ died. Hmm. Anyone else feeling convicted? <laughs> I know I was. Can I say just practically, you know, we live in a world where there are no kind of water cooler moments in telly anymore, really, not many at least. People don't all sit down in the, in the living room and watch something as a family, whereby parents could be embarrassed if something comes on in front of their kids, and kids could be embarrassed if something comes on in front of their parents, and everyone turns over. We don't really do that anymore. Everybody watches on their own device, their own screen, and preferably in their own place. Can I urge you as believers, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. You know, I, and, you know I, I have the grace of having a family. And I have to be honest. I have to be honest with myself. If I wasn't with my wife in the living room, might there be things that I would allow to be on my TV longer than I should? Probably. But there's grace in that she's there and we can both get thoroughly embarrassed and turn over. <laughs> you're looking at me like, well, I don't know what you're looking at me like. <laughs> Come on, do yourself a favor. Young people, I know your parents watch rubbish on the telly. I know they do. It's all very dull. But don't go hive yourself off in your room on YouTube or Netflix or Facebook. You know, I know you can find good things on this. Watch with people. Watch with one another. Be accountable to one another in appropriate Christian relationship. If you don't have anybody that might be watching with you, hey, look, you can get things that have screen accountability. Covenant eyes, go and download it. And it sends a report as to what you've been watching to a friend of yours in Christ. And there's to you so that you can help one another. Is what you're consuming good for you or could you consume something better? Now I know you might say, isn't that just a matter of personal preference? For me, the greatest TV of all time was the West Wing. And I will brook no argument. But I know that makes me a really dull human being. And so you might say, it's all right for you, Pastor Greg. You're quite dull, so you don't mind dull things. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of personal devotion. Super quick. Our third question, are the lovers of such shows as this the greatest lovers of the book of God and of a holy life? You know, the people around you are wanting to engage you in conversation about Game of Thrones. Are they also the people who are spurring you on to run the race that Jesus has set before you? Are they? Are the people who want to engage you about the latest episode of this or that or the other, 
Are they also talking to you about what you're studying in the Word of God? Are they also saying to you, do you know Jesus loves you? Are they? And if literally none of them are, then probably the content of your conversation is based on something that's doing you no good. Now don't worry. This doesn't mean that you only have to watch Christian movies for the rest of your life. Because let's face it, most of them aren't very good. They're not. (laughs) They're really quite bad. But it does mean that you need to recognize that you're not made for the things that satisfy everyone else. You're made to be satisfied in Jesus. I can't eat kebabs every day for the rest of my life. Question four. Does this show, does this movie increase my love to the word of God, kill my sin, and prepare me for the life to come? I want you to realize today, there is a battle raging for the soul of every person. There is a battle raging for your soul. It raged before you came to faith. You know, Pastor Karen, as she was saying goodbye to her mum, she gave testimony um, of, of Linda's life. And many of you will know this, but part of the story was that she used to get up, Linda, every day at 5 a.m. to pray for Karen and for Paul to come to faith in Jesus Christ. She did. Uh, and by God's grace, Karen did. And you can continue to pray for the rest of Karen's family. She's seeing them off at the airport right now. But there was a battle raging. And Linda thought, all right, I'll get in that fight. And so she did on her knees. You know, many of you here today, you can give testimony that there were people who did that for you. They went into bat on their knees for you. There was a battle raging that you might be a person of light and not of darkness. A battle raging that you might know the life of God in its fullness now and for all eternity and not be broken and deathly and dead for all eternity. There was a battle raging for you and it still rages. Still rages. There were the disciples of Christ with him closer physically than you or I have ever been. Though we will be one day. And Jesus says to Peter, there's a fight on for you, son. There's a fight on for you. There's a fight on for you, for your holiness, for your purity, for your witness, for your testimony. There's a fight on for you. There's a fight on for me. Or I tell you, the devil would like nothing more than for you or I to trip up in our morality. To stop being holy people. To start living like this, the way of this world. To be people of theft or of hate or of murder or of lust or whatever it might be. There's a fight on for you that you might be distanced from God. There's a fight on that those around you might say, actually, if that's a Christian, I'm not bothered. There's a fight on for your souls, Christian. It's what you're consuming, enabling you in the fight. Killing your sin or are you actively punching holes in your armor? Are you jettisoning the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit in favor of fancy dress? That's what we often do when we fail to seek to increase our love for God and his word. When we indulge sin rather than putting it to death. Why would you spend this life preparing for an eternity which won't exist? This world is passing away. Is every waking moment consumed with this world? If it is, you're going to come to a rude awakening when you're in eternity with Christ. 
Are you so consumed with the things of this world? Are you so desperate to be a part of the conversations of this world? Are you so desperate to seem culturally savvy or up to date? Are you so desperate to be liked? We stop liking Jesus and his ways. Christians, it's a matter of devotion. These four questions, they will help us. And we need help. I need help. It's a matter also of leadership and witness. I want to suggest to you, and look, I am so willing for you to debate with me on this. I really am. I bemoan all the time that nobody comes and questions me about the word of God. It sorrows my heart that you don't come and say to me, Pastor Greg, I think you're wrong and here's why. Would you do it? Come on. If you see me going out the building and you've not had a chance, trip me up and say, we need to talk. Because here's what I believe. The truth of the matter is that we cannot see things of a show like Game of Thrones as entertainment. Not when Jesus was crucified because of sins such as rape, lies, murder, treachery, and more. Not when these same things are really happening in our world. Not when in our world, women are being raped and sexually abused, even as I am speaking, at horrendous levels in our supposedly civilized society. Not when two women are killed by a current or former partner each week, each week. Not when lies and treachery are breaking up marriages and families all around us. Not when a hundred people have died as victims of knife crime this year alone in the UK. Folks, we are called to be leaders in our culture, not followers. We are called to shape this world according to God's best. And this world is watching. Watching whether to be a Christian truly brings us hope and love and difference. Watching whether churches can really be one serving one another and making a difference in the world. You know, we love great drama on telly. And look, I, I don't for a moment deny the fact that Game of, Thrones might be Game of Thrones might be incredibly well scripted or highly dramatic or thrilling in its delivery. I'm sure that it is. We love these great dramas because they speak of something bigger and greater than any one of us. You love those thrills because you're made to love the thrills. But I want to suggest to you, the thrill you're made for is actually bigger and better again. Does a story of dramatic rescue, of conflict and wonder, does a story of rescues and hope, of fights for things that really matter, does it sound familiar, anybody? Does it sound familiar? And I wonder, Christians, if some of the time we spend uh, far too much of our time involved in stories that, that they're like the, the sugar-coated versions of the real deal. It's a hit. It's the McDonald's of life. It's in Revelation 2.26. I find these words, and Jesus says them. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. I do not know. And to be honest, I don't rightly care who ascends to the iron throne tonight. So I know a thing or two. I know who is seated upon the throne of glory. 
And he is the only one who can grant authority in my life. Hey, he says, to him who conquers and keeps my work to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Can anything else promise you that? Anything. Anything. If you're not excited about such a promise, then I wonder, do you need to place your faith in Jesus again? Because it's probably gotten somewhere else. To him who conquers and keeps my works to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Ooh, that sounds pretty thrilling. I can't get that anywhere else. I expect to be tripped up later. Quite right. Grab me. Grab your elders. Are you in a transformed community this week? Oh God, I hope so. Because you need to wrestle together. Not like literally, that'd be weird. But with the word of God. Come on. This world is watching. Wants to know whether you'll be up all night binge watching Netflix on Friday and won't bother to help at Oxfest on Saturday. There's an application for you. What do you want to do with your life? First up, could you stand with me? Would you do that? 